Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you, Father, for this word that we have just read. We thank you for loving us so dearly that you have given us uh, uh, our Bibles. Uh, you've given us your word that is uh, uh, indeed sufficient to teach us all things, to, to train us in godliness. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would teach us from your word this morning, that you would train us, that, Father, you would equip us, uh, that we might be able to stand against these evil assaults that our promise to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. We, we know that it's not a matter of if, but it's just a matter of when. So, Father, we pray that you would equip us uh, in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. For the sake of those who are visiting with us and for anyone else who wasn't here last week, we have begun a, a new study, and the subject of the study is the spiritual warfare and of course, uh, uh, Ephesians six ten through twenty is one of the uh, really classic texts that uh, instruct us in that subject. And we began last week by looking at verse ten, and we spent some time looking at the word "finally." You see there in Ephesians six ten, uh, "finally." I think by way of review, it's important to us that 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 we we recognize that if we look at the the book of Ephesians or the letter of Ephesians as a whole, the first three chapters are really devoted to explaining who we are in Christ Jesus. Uh, there are no exhortations given in those first three chapters, and we looked at that with some detail uh, last week. Uh, the Apostle Paul is describing all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, we've been blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing that's in the heavenly places. If I might borrow some of the language that Paul uses uh, in this great letter. And if you turn back to, to Ephesians 4, it's not until Ephesians 4 and verse 1 that we get our, really our first exhortation. The Apostle Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to what? Uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Uh, when I preached my presbytery sermon uh, years ago, as one of the things that uh, you have to do as a candidate for ministry has to preach a, a sermon to presbytery so that they can kind of review and, and critique you, uh, I can remember very well the message that I preached. Uh, it, it was, I was borrowing from that slogan that the, the army used to use, be all that you can be or be what... How did it go? Be all that you can be or be, uh, be what, uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but in essence, it's, 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 it's be all that you can be, I think is what it's, is what it said. Uh, you remember the years ago, the, the advertisement that they had, and I was using that actually uh, in Romans, uh, showing what we have become. What has God made us in Christ Jesus? What has he made us? The, the idea of walking with Jesus is simply being what God has made us to be. And that is the same idea here in Ephesians 3. Uh, 
We got chapters one, two, and three explaining what we are now as new creations in Christ Jesus. And now the first exhortation we have in chapter four, verse one, is walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And that brings us to the finally. When we come to Ephesians six and we read the word finally, what Paul's doing is he's giving us the last of the series of exhortations uh, that he has given. And he says, finally, be strong. Finally, be strong. Now, as Americans, we... We like that. We hear that enough. Be strong. I mean, uh, as I commented last week, our uh, movies, our television programs, uh, the, some of the songs we listen to uh, are all about looking down inside and drawing that strength and being strong. You know, many of the interviews that that uh, we watch, whether they be interviews from the sports arena or whether they be interviews of first responders, interviews of people, we like to watch that stuff. I can recall watching a remarkable story here not long ago of a young woman. She was uh, maybe first or second year in college, and she was a lifeguard, and she's uh, watching the, the beach. I don't remember exactly where, but the, they showed footage of the, of the ocean. It was crazy, the, the waves. And there were people out there swimming. They shouldn't have been out there, and they got out there too far, and, and off she went. She went out, and she... Uh, she brought all of them safely to the shore. An amazing and remarkable story. And we love those kinds of stories. And as they were interviewing her, she was talking about just drawing this strength, this inner strength. And we like that. Um, but let's not get the idea that that's what's in view here. Notice there's a prepositional phrase that follows the word strong. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord, not in ourselves. Be strong in the Lord. And in fact, last week, you remember I mentioned that this, this is pass, it's passive. The verbiage is passive. That means that the action is being done to the subject. It's not being done by the subject. Now, when we fail, it's always because we're, we're trying to do it ourselves, isn't it? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Last week, last week we looked at this, this might, the this strength of his might. What is the strength of his might? And by looking at the context of Ephesians, we saw that the strength of his might, the power that's being talked about here, is the very power that raised Jesus from the grave. The very power that put life right back into Jesus' body. Uh, the very power that, that raised him up from the grave, which uh, we celebrate every Lord's Day, but we especially celebrate on a season of Easter. That resurrection power is the power that Paul's talking about. But it doesn't stop there. It also talks about his ascending power. The power that ascended Christ Jesus to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And you'll recall as we come to Ephesians chapter 2, we see that that power has been, that same very power has been exercised towards all who believe. If you look at Ephesians 2, you see how it starts here. The Apostle Paul says, you, who is you? That's the saints in Ephesus and through the saints in Ephesus to everyone else down through the quarters of time who has placed their faith and, and trust in Christ Jesus. If you're trusting in Christ Jesus this morning, if your faith is in him, it's, it's, this is being said of you. You were once dead in the trespasses and sins. You were once dead. The Greek word is necros. It means death, corpse. You're not going to get a lot of activity out of this. You were once dead 
in the trespasses and sin. It's speaking of spiritual death. Verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Okay? Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath. But look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, did what? Made us alive with that resurrecting power. Doesn't stop there. Verse 6. And raised us up. Ascending power. Isn't that marvelous? <laughs> if, you, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you know, nothing short of a miracle has happened to you. It's a miracle. That you would be given a new heart. And in a sense, I mean, we're seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. How are we seated with him? We're seated with him spiritually. You know, one of the metaphors that is used is the head and the body. Where the head is, there the body is too. Jesus is the head, if you, if you will, and we are the members. Right? So the Apostle Paul saying, finally, back to Ephesians 6 and verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. Now, what he's doing in verse 11 is uh, he... You know, he, he's, he's showing us how to appropriate this strength. This is about appropriating. This is about taking it. It's about uh, partaking of it, if you will. Uh, and what I want to focus on this morning is this, really this phrase, putting on. Putting on the whole armor of God. Notice there's a, a metaphor here of, of something that a person would wear. Uh, the metaphor of a garment. We usually don't think of this various armor as a garment, but it's... Still very much a close cousin uh, to this metaphor of a garment, which we find in Scripture in many places. And in fact, the reader of Ephesians has already encountered uh, this type of phrase. If you look back to chapter 4 and verse 22, in fact, for the sake of context, why don't we look back to verse 17? It'll help set us up for verse 22. Now, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 17, he says, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to what? Hardness of heart. I've told you this story, you'll probably get tired of some of my stories, but I tell this story a lot, and I... I, I I intend to keep telling it a lot too. But you remember the story, you know, when I first came to faith, you know, we were, we were operating our music store out in Calcutta and I got so excited about Jesus. I thought if I could just share the gospel, you know, accurately and if I could just share it with some excitement, once people heard that, they're all just going to come flocking to Jesus. And I wasn't aware of this hardness of heart stuff. You know, as I began to share Christ Jesus, I noticed people rejecting it. It wasn't that they didn't understand it. They didn't didn't want anything to do with it. Why didn't they want anything to do with it? Because of this hardness of heart. You see, this is the part part where the miracle comes to play. 
And incidentally, this is what we're going to be talking about on Wednesday evenings for the next couple of weeks as we study, as we study the catechism. That's where we're, we're headed now. The Apostle Paul says that the whole thing really comes down to hardness of heart. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And we can look around in our culture and we can see that, can't we? Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off, see that word, put off. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, in verse 24, and to put on the new self. See that idea? This idea of putting off the old self, the idea of putting on the new self. And this language is not new to the Apostle Paul. This language is, it appears through Scripture in many places. Don't need to turn here because I'm going to look at a couple of passages and I don't want to flip you all over the place here. But uh, in Job chapter 29, uh, Job uses this language and he says in verse 14, he says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. See, here's this metaphor here all the way back in Job, one of the oldest books in the Bible making use of this terminology, this metaphor, if you will, of a garment. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Our clothes, uh, uh, they, they radiate from us, don't they? I mean, maybe some of us this morning when we got up, we looked into our closets and we thought, okay, what am I going to wear today? Uh, no, not this. I'm not putting this on. I ate too much last night. I'm not wearing this. Uh, how about this? No, I wore this last Sunday. Everyone will know I'm wearing the same thing again. Listen, man, I have no idea what you wore last Sunday. <laughs> and neither does anybody else for that matter. Just put it on if you like it. We realize you washed it. It's cool. You're good. But you know where we're going here. Why do we do that? Because our clothes say so much about us, don't they? You know, officers of the law wear uniforms. It's not... Uh, legal for us to put on one of those uniforms. You know, you might get away with it at Halloween, but uh, don't wear it the next day. It's a federal offense to impersonate an officer of the law. So our clothes say a lot about us. And here, uh, here in, in Job, Job is speaking of a virtue, a virtue that's so close to him and emanating from him. It is, he's using the metaphor of clothing to describe it. I put on righteousness and it, it, it clothed me. It covered me, if you will. In Psalm, I think, 132, it's one of the Psalms of this, of a sense. Psalm 132, and again, you don't need to turn there, just listen. Uh, psalm 132, now in this Psalm, the, the, the psalmist is, you know, he is uh, speaking of the covenant that the, that the Lord swore to David, namely that one of his sons, one of David's sons would occupy uh, his throne for ever. And in verse 11, the psalmist says, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. And then in verse 13, he says, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. Uh, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions 
I will satisfy her poor with bread. And then listen to verse 16. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. Now, this same kind of language is sometimes used conversely. Sometimes the psalmist will be praying like we have uh, Psalm uh, 73. You don't need to turn there either. Just listen to the, the verse. And Psalm, Psalm 73 is one of those psalms that, that uses the, uh, the, the garment in an opposite way. Uh, he is speaking of the pride of the wicked. And he says in verse 6 that, uh, Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Now here he's speaking of the opposite. You know, I think it's really interesting. I was meditating on this verse this morning. You know, therefore, pride is their necklace. You know, a necklace is jewelry, isn't it? And, you know, as I was reading that verse this morning, I was thinking, you know, the eyes are in many ways the jewels of our face, aren't they? You know, some people, you know, you know, um, know, we look into our sweetie's eyes and we look into their eyes and we love what we see there, don't we? It's kind of a, yeah, Chris is smiling. You're supposed to be smiling when I say stuff like that. If you're not, you're going to get smacked. <laughs> but, but, you know, and Chris is, I'll tell you what, I don't want to embarrass him or anything, but I'll tell you what, he sure loves his wife, doesn't he? The eyes are the jewels of the face. And what does that say about haughty eyes? When a person is really haughty, it's in the eyes, isn't it? You see those haughty eyes. And here the psalmist is saying their eyes, I'm sorry, he's saying their pride is their necklace. It's not hard to spot that, is it? It's very easy to spot. And he goes on to say that violence covers them as a garment. Violence covers them as a garment. Here's this idea of a garment again, putting on only it's in the opposite sense, isn't it? Now, this sets us up for uh, Zechariah. And I would ask you to turn to Zechariah. Keep your place in Ephesians 6 and turn to Zechariah 3, which we open our passage or our uh, worship service up with this morning. Zechariah 3. Here's one of the visions of Zechariah. He has a vision of Joshua, the high priest. And in his vision, he... Uh, he sees Joshua in verse 1, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And along comes this very dark character, Satan, standing at his right hand to do what? Standing there to accuse him. When you think of Satan, I mean, a lot of times we think of him as the tempter, but uh, he, he really, he is an accuser. Um, he is an accuser. And here he is accusing Joshua the high priest. And in verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this brand plucked from the fire? In other words, what the Lord is saying, is saying, haven't I I plucked Joshua from the wrath to come? Verse 3, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed. See this idea of clothed. What's he clothed in? Filthy garments. Filthy garments. 
And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquities away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And that interprets the metaphor for us, doesn't it? If we want to ask the question, what is the symbolism of the filthy garments? They are his iniquities. We might put it this way, his, his filthy garments are his righteousness. You know, we are so prone to being self-righteous. Uh, we, we ought to keep, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to use this passage as our scripture memory verse. Our scripture memory verse comes from this context, rather. Is as, we, as we're puffed up and we're thinking about our own personal righteousness, let's think of Joshua, the high priest, who was far more righteous than we are. And his righteousness is described as filthy rags, filthy garments that have to be discarded. They're discarded. The angel said to those who were, verse 4, the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquities away from you and I will clothe you with what? Pure vestments. Pure vestments. Actually, the, the clothes that the high priests wore were beautiful. You can read about them in Exodus Towards the end of Exodus, you have the, the description of these clothes. You know, God empowered these artisans to make these beautiful, these beautiful clothes. And there's a lot of symbolism in those clothes. Uh, the, the old is, is taken off, isn't it? And the new is put on. And we're starting to see this imagery a little clearer, I think, perhaps. Uh, this might clarify it a little bit further. The Bible only speaks of two types of people. Only two. They are those who are in Adam. And they are those who are in Christ. And one of the key words here is in. Those who are in Adam. Those who are in Christ. Okay, what does that mean? Well, when Adam falls in the garden. All humanity falls with him. He is the representative of all humanity. Everyone falls with him. And as a result of that, we are all born into Adam. And we are all born into sin. I think it's quite interesting, you know, as we think about uh, garments. You know, some of you will know this. At the very end of that passage in Genesis 3 where the fall is described. You remember it. As soon as Adam and Eve rebel against God, they realize they're what? They realize they're naked. And what do they do about it? They sew fig leaves together. Okay, that's man's attempt to try to make him, to try to cover himself. You see, that's the idea of covering yourself with fig leaves. Okay, that doesn't make for very good garments, does it? Well, what does God do for them towards the end of the chapter? He makes them suitable clothes out of animal skins, doesn't he? Now, the, the passage doesn't speak about the slaying of these animals, but I think it's implied. Now, we, we, could, we could say, you know, um, God could have just, you know, out of nothing, he could have just created these clothes and he could have clothed them. He could have done that, but I, I don't think that's the way we ought to take that passage. I think that uh, very clearly God has, uh, uh, he has uh, slaughtered, uh, animals to make these skins and God himself has clothed them 
Now we're starting to see the idea of an innocent party going in front of a guilty party in order to clothe the guilty party. You see. And this is all Old Testament stuff, isn't it? So when the Apostle Paul, if we want to go back to Ephesians 4, that'd be a good place to, to go back to start putting all this together. In Ephesians 24 and verse 22, when the Apostle Paul says, put off your old self. What's he talking about? He's talking about putting off the old person. He's talking about putting off what you were formerly. You see, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, and again, the Bible only speaks about two different groups of people. Those who are in Adam, we're in Adam by virtue of the fact we've been born into this world as a descendant of Adam, and that he represented us in the Garden of Eden. We've all fallen in him. But when we put our faith and our trust in Christ Jesus, we are taken out of Adam and we are put into Christ. And when we are put into Christ, we are united to Christ by faith. And by virtue of this union, all of the spiritual blessings of heaven become ours. Or we could think of the Garden of Eden if we want. We think of the animals, the innocent party. They had nothing to do with the fall. They are slain. Their blood is shed. And their uh, skins are used for clothing. From there we think of the cross. If we're trusting in Christ Jesus, what has taken place? Jesus, the innocent party, has gone in place of the guilty. Right? The innocent has gone in place of the guilty. His blood is shed. What's he doing on the cross? He's dying in the place of sinners. He is offering his very own body at the altars of God's justice in order to take away the old so that he could provide the new. And when we put and place our faith in Christ Jesus, his perfect righteousness covers us up and we're said to be clothed in Christ Jesus and we speak of this this is the formal word for this in theology is our union with Christ if you get a, a good systematic theology out there'll be a chapter that discusses the union our union with Christ we're brought into union by faith when we're brought into union guess what God clothes us just like Joshua the high priest his filthy garments are taken off. The old is past and the new is brought in. Paul sometimes speaks of a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you're a new creation. You've been clothed with this righteousness. Now, this is something that is done for us once and for all, but it's also on the flip side something that we need to do every day ourselves. When the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.22, he says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. What he's referring, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the church, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and through them to us. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to believers. It's important that we understand the context. Now, why would he say this to believers? Because when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're not instantaneously made perfect, are we? There's a remnant of sin that still dwells. 
Well, guess what? We've got to battle with that every day, don't we? And the Apostle Paul is giving us the directive on how to battle with that. If you've got reoccurring sin going on in your life, this is how you deal with it. You put off the old. Notice what he says. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Those deceitful desires raise up their ugly heads in our life, don't they? And if we, if we follow those deceitful desires, guess what? We'll be found sinning in no time at all. But the Apostle Paul is saying, put that off. That's, that belongs to the former manner of life. Put on your new self in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. So when we come to Ephesians 6 and verse 11, when the Apostle Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God, we need to understand that this is an aspect of putting on Christ Jesus. This is an aspect of our union with Christ Jesus. Let me, let me give you a couple of scenarios here that I think will help put this all together. Some real life scenarios. Tammy and I were watching, I think it was last Sunday, uh, in the afternoon, I think we were watching uh, some footage from the Ligonier Conference, this 2015 conference, and one of the speakers is some, someone who I, I love to watch speak, uh, Rosaria Butterfield. I don't know if any of you have seen her speak or not, but she... I love to listen to her speak. And at one point in her talk, she said kind of jokingly, and she didn't say this to be mean. It might sound mean, but she's not saying it to be mean. But she says, listen, uh, she was speaking about a person that heckled her. And she says, listen, if you heckle me, that's fine. But um, you may end up in one of my books if you do that. And she wasn't saying that to be mean. I knew exactly what she, what she was doing when she said it, and I started laughing. It's because sometimes when we get heckled, Actually, we get these wonderful illustrations through it. They're perfect illustrations, and I got one. You know, there, there was a, a, a fellow that I was ministering to for a very short period of time, not for very long, but, um, you know, he, in so many words, recently told me that I ought to hang this pastorate stuff up, that I should just hang it up and give this up. This is what we call a flaming dart, you know, if you look down to verse 16, Ephesians 6 and verse 16, you see the Apostle Paul, this is a little, uh, little uh, preview of what's to come. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The idea is there's this dart, and we might think of the old, uh, um, the old uh, uh, cowboy and Indian movies. Uh, they're so politically incorrect that they don't make them anymore. But... You know, you've got, the, you've got the, the arrow and they put the arrow on fire and then they shoot the arrow and then the arrow lands on a barn or something and, or lands on a covered wagon and causes the covered wagon to get on fire. That's kind of the idea that Satan launches. When that happened to me, when this man said this to me, I realized what it was right away. It was a flaming dart. Now, what do we do about it? Well, I can tell you what I did. I didn't disagree with him. In fact, I didn't say anything in response because you want to know something I agree with him. I ought to hang this up. The closer that I walk with the Lord, the more sinful I realize I am. And those of you who've been walking with the Lord for a while, you're going, yeah, I got you. And those of you who have just started walking with the Lord, you'll be with us one of these days. 
Because the closer you walk with the Lord, the more sin you start to see in your life. And as a pastor, the more sin I see in my life, the more I see myself. I really don't belong up here doing this. If I'm only referring to the old Rick Anderson. So in this sense, I would fully agree with this, with this poor soul that said this to me. And I say poor soul because the man that said this to me is, is, was very angry. He's very angry. Why is he very angry? I'll tell you why he's very angry. It's because he's hurting. 100% of the time when someone's really angry like that, they're hurting. Not 95% of the time. 100% of the time. He's hurting. So what do we do with that? Well, as soon as I had opportunity to get together with Tammy, we prayed. And the first thing I did was I repented. Who is The Apostle Paul says about ministry, who is sufficient for these things? If he didn't believe he was sufficient for it, why would I ever come to the conclusion that I'm sufficient for it? I agree with this man. I ought to hang this up. And I repented of all of the shortcomings of, of this ministry, all of the shortcomings of my shortcomings in understanding the word of God, my shortcomings, just down through the list, I repented of it all. But here, here's where our union with Christ comes in. I didn't call myself to this. Christ called me to this. I'm not standing here because I decided, you know, one guy wanted to be a fireman, the other guy wanted to be a policeman, and I wanted to be a pastor. Those of you who have known me for a long time know that isn't what happened. I've been called to this. Who called me to this? Christ called me to this. When this man said these things to me, he, he's not attacking me. He's attacking the one who called me. You see, our war is not with flesh and blood. The war is much beyond that. The war is, the war is with, with the evil one and his cohorts in the, evil, in the heavenly places. And we begin to understand that as we put on Christ. And it extinguishes those darts. I am in Christ Jesus. The old has been taken away. I am not clothed in my own righteousness. I am clothed in Christ's righteousness. I could think of Joshua the high priest and the devil accusing him. See, that's what was going on to me. The devil was accusing me. I might as well be standing there. The devil rattling his accusations at me. But the Lord would say, isn't this Rick Anderson, the one I've pulled uh, out of the fire? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. You see that? It extinguishes the darts. Let me use another example. Uh, forgiveness is such a tough issue, isn't it? Forgiveness is a tough issue for many of us. For all of us, at some point. And we've heard the slogan, you know, the forgiven should be forgiving. That's a true statement, but it should never just be given as a moral imperative. It should never just be, and you never should just stand up here and say, listen, okay, because you're forgiven, you should forget. We should never say it that way. We should take a couple of minutes and flesh it out so that we have the power to forgive. It goes back to our union with Christ Jesus. We can go back to Joshua the high priest. Joshua is more righteous than any of us. And I know sometimes we read about the high priest, we think of the gospels, we think how corrupt those guys were. That's not the case with Joshua here, okay? 
Not all the high priests were corrupt like that. That's not the case with Joshua. Joshua was a holy man. We might think of Isaiah. He was a holy man. He comes into the presence of God. And what does he do? Cries out, woe is me, for I'm undone. Right? Okay, we think about that. If you're trusting in Christ Jesus this morning, the same thing could be said of you. There you are in the filthy, filthy garments. There the, uh, the evil one is accusing you. But God does what? He takes those filthy garments away. He's taking your sins away. He's giving you forgiveness. You're being forgiven of so many things. As we put that on, as we think that through, as we set our minds on that, now we have, now we have the empowerment to begin to forgive other people. Do you see how that works? If we just try in and of ourselves to offer forgiveness, it's not going to happen. You put on the new self, which is to go back and to concentrate on your union with Christ. He's forgiven us. He's taken away those filthy rags. There's a lot more sins in those filthy rags than we're ever going to be asked to forgive. How did we get forgiven? Christ Jesus, the one who is innocent, stood in our place. And died for our sins. How can we withhold forgiveness now when so much forgiveness has been offered to us? That doesn't make it easy, but that begins, that begins to give us the ability to do it. Let me give you a third example and we'll wrap this up. Third example, reoccurring sin in our life. And that really starts to, to warm us up for the, you know, the whole idea of a battle, a spiritual warfare. Reoccurring sin in our lives. Okay, we wake up in the morning, we don't appropriate Christ, we walk through the day, we're going to get beat up all day. We wake up in the morning, we appropriate Christ. What do I mean by that? We think through, put on the armor. What does that mean? That's an extension, that's a subset of putting on Christ. It's a subset of putting on the new. We wake up in the morning and we, we fix our sights, fix our eyes on Jesus and the fact that we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And we set our sights on that. And as we set our sights on that and the hour of temptation comes, then we have to ask ourselves, how? How can I possibly... Uh, be engaged in entertaining this temptation when I'm not only in Christ Jesus, but I'm seated with him at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That is the most powerful antidote to putting sin to death in our lives right there. You wouldn't do it if Jesus was standing right in front of you. I wouldn't do it if Jesus was standing right in front of me. Well, guess what? He is standing right in front of me. And furthermore, I'm with him at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, in the sense that I'm united to Him. And when we set our minds on that, the temptation will shrink. It's only when we divorce ourselves from that and we forget about that, and we walk away from that, the temptation beats us up. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, Lord, we come before you this morning as people who are often very beat up. We come to you this morning, Father. We may have already been beat up this morning. Father, we come to you so much of the time as people who have neglected to put on the armor of God. 
we often can come to you as people who don't even know anything about the armor of God. But, oh, Father, having communicated this to us this morning, Father, we recognize, Lord, that your arms are wide open to receive us and to forgive us. All that we have to do is repent of our sins before you. For if we confess our sins before you, O oh Father, you're righteous and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, we recognize this morning, Lord, that to put on the whole armor of God is to put on Christ Jesus. Well, Father, we desperately need your help to do this. Father, we pray that you will teach us that, Father, in the upcoming days and weeks and months and years, Father, you will help us to adopt this new habit of putting on Christ. That, Father, we would begin to get victory over those reoccurring sins. That we would begin to forgive those who have wronged us and repented of their wrongs. That, Father, we would begin to be able to handle those flaming darts that they are aimed right at our hearts. That so much of the time they, they wound so deeply because they're custom made for where it hurts. So, Father, we pray that, Lord, you will enable us to put on that new self. To put on the whole armor of God. That we would appropriate this every day, that we may walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling uh, to which you have called us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I invite you to stand as we sing our closing song.